Welcome ladies to the online Bible study. This week we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 through 25. Now so far in 1 Peter the emphasis has been on walking in hope, walking in holiness, and walking in harmony. Now for the next couple of weeks the emphasis will be on walking in submission. Now the word submission these days gets a bad rap. But as we will see, submission does not mean slavery or subjugation, but simply the recognition of God's authority in our lives. This week, Peter shows us submission in the life of a believer as a citizen of heaven to the lost, as we see in verses 11 through 12. Then we will see as a citizen of heaven to government and authority as we'll look at verses 13 to 17 and then as a worker in verses 18 to 25. Then over the next couple of weeks Peter will show us submission in the life of a believer as a marriage partner which we will see in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3 and then as a member of the Christian assembly in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3. So let's begin and open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 and let's look at verses 11 through 12 as we look at walking in submission as a citizen of heaven to the lost. It reads, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now last week, we ended with thinking about who we are, that we are a chosen people, that we belong to God, a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, in Peter, verse 11, is reminding us again that we are God's dearly beloved children. Beloved here is from one Greek word, used of divine, of God's divine love. Peter is reminding them that they are dearly loved ones of God. Have you really thought about how much God loves you? Eight times in Peter's two epistles, does Peter remind us of the love that God has for us? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Ladies, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are accepted in the Beloved. Our love for Jesus Christ the fact that he died on the cross so that we could live with him for eternity ought to be motivation enough for us to live godly lives in this godless world. John 14:15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Ladies, it is so clear that God is commanding us to keep his commandments. It says, If you love me, this is the agape love here, Keep, which is the aorist imperative, meaning a command. So he says, keep my commandments. 
Ladies, we probably all have this verse memorized by heart. But look at the richness of this text. There is something deeper than obedience because of duty. Notice it says, if you love me. Obedience does done out of devotion is much deeper than obedience because of duty. You ever have someone help you out just because they knew you needed help, but their heart really wasn't into it? They're just doing it because it had to be done. Or you have someone help you out purely out of love for you. You can see the difference, can't you, in their attitude. And it comes across more sincere, doesn't it? Well, God wants us to obey out of devotion, out of love for Him. I remember when I was saved, I had attended church every Sunday and went out of a source of duty. That was what we were supposed to do. One day in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher showed us the difference between knowing God with a head knowledge and knowing God experientially. I realized I did not know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I did not know Him experientially. I asked the Lord into my heart that day, and my heart was changed. I no longer went to church out of duty, but now I went out of a desire to know more about God. I now wanted to go rather than I had to go. This is the difference here. When we should want to obey God's law, out of devotion to him rather than out of duty. So Peter here is strongly exhorting us that those who loved by God as strangers and pilgrims of the earth, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. Notice, he is reminding us again, and he di- as he did in chapter 1, that we are strangers in this world, that this is just our temporary home and that we are living amongst the unsaved who are constantly watching us. Now 1 Peter 2.11 goes on to say that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The Greek is so expressive, it is exciting to read it. The verb tense of the word abstain is in the present infinitive, meaning it is a continuous or repeated action. So, we are to repeatedly abstain from fleshly lusts which were a campaign against our soul or our whole being. Ladies, our real battle is not with the people around us, but with passions within us. D.L. Moody said, I am more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. We can all identify with this. We can be our worst enemy. Ladies, it is a constant warfare, and we must be on guard. In this real spiritual battle, a demonic strategy is to attack believers at their weakest points. Christians are to abstain from sinful desires not only for their own spiritual well-being, but also in order to maintain an effective testimony before unbelievers. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
A positive Christian lifestyle is a powerful means of convicting the world of its sin. Remember, we are surrounded by unsaved people who are constantly watching us. They're watching our testimony. Now, the word Gentiles here is not referring to the Gentiles as in contrast to Jew and Gentile, but to the unsaved world, the world of people without Christ. If we are to witness to the lost world around us, we need to live an honest life. Honest translates in the Greek, speaks of goodness, which is beautiful, and outer goodness that strikes the eye. Our manner of life is honest when our lives in are in accordance with what we are inwardly. Cleansed, regenerated children of God. We give others an honest testimony and picture of what we really are inwardly. We do not witness only with our lips though. We must back up our talk with our walk. There should be nothing in our conduct that will give the unsaved ammunition to attack Christ and the gospel. Our good works must back up our good works. Jesus said this in Matthew 5 verse 16. Let's read that. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ladies, we need to walk the talk. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of witness am I? Are the unsaved coming to know the Lord by watching your life? Does your life represent Christ's light? Of course, everything we do should be for the glory of the Lord and the good of His kingdom. Let's continue and look at verses 13 to 17 as we look at walking in submission the life of a believer as a citizen of heaven to government and authority. It says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. As Christians, Peter is telling us that we are to submit to every law or every ordinance, whether to the king as supreme or to governors. Now remember, the church and its believers were being severely persecuted by the government and the society of that day. So this would be a hard pill to swallow. But notice the word submit. It is in the imperative mode, which means that it is a command. Peter is giving a strong command that we are to submit, and notice he doesn't say some ordinances, but he says every ordinance. But the verse doesn't stop there. Peter goes on to show us why we are to be obedient. 
It is not to avoid punishment, but is for the sake of the Lord. Everything we do, ladies, we do for the glory of God. When you think of submitting to the government or authority, it is important to remember that we are to respect the office even though we don't necessarily respect the person in the office. Keep in mind that the infamous Nero was ruling as the emperor when God led Peter to give these instructions. Nero was a cruel tyrant who ruled from AD 54 to about AD 68 over all the Roman provinces which included the areas that Peter was writing to. So we have to keep that in mind. Notice verse 15. It says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now Peter and John prove this point as we look at Acts chapter 4 verses 1 to 22. But when you look back previously in chapter 3, Peter and John were heading to the temple when a lame man stopped them looking for a handout. And Peter told them that he didn't have any silver or gold, but he told him in the name of Jesus Christ to rise up and walk. The lame man was healed that day, and he walked into the temple with Peter and John. He was a living testimony of the power of God. When the people inquired about the healing of this lame man, Peter preached to them about the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now the Sadducees, they do not believe in resurrection. As we see in Acts 23, 8, it says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Therefore, we see in chapter 4 that Peter and John had to go before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish Supreme, like, you know, like the Jewish Supreme Court, to defend themselves. Now, what could the Sanhedrin say to them? The proof was standing in the temple. The lame man had been healed, and they could not do or say anything. All they could do was threaten Peter and John to stop preaching about the resurrected Christ. But... Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, and see their response. It says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then you also see in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Ladies, Peter commands us to obey every law. But when it goes against the word of God, then we have to draw a line. However, it is important that we are not being vigilantes, taking matters into our own hands. We need to make sure that we don't dishonor God in our pursuit to stand firm on our beliefs. Now Peter and John did not disobey the law here. They simply followed what God had commissioned them to do, and that was to preach the word. How many times do we see today Christians being censored? For instance, in a speech, we're not allowed to mention Christ's name. Or even at Christmas time, how many companies took Christ out of Christmas? 
we need to use discretion and make sure what our motives are. Make sure that we are glorifying God in everything that we do. Now the will of God is that His children be obedient to Him. And one of the ways that Christians demonstrate obedience to God is to submit to the existing civil authorities. Such obedience brings honor and glory to God. Mark twelve seventeen says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Therefore, when believers obey their governing authorities, they are obeying the will of God, aren't they? Let's continue in verse 17. It says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This section concludes with a four-point summary of Christian citizenship. First, the Christians are to honor or respect everyone. Believers should be conscious of the fact that each human has been uniquely created in God's image. Second, Christians are to love the brotherhood of believers, their brothers and sisters in Christ. God's family members should love one another, shouldn't we? We should be that example. And third, Christians are to fear God. Now again, the verb fear here does not mean to be in terror but in awe and reverence that leads to obedience. One will never truly respect people until they reverence God. And then fourth, believers are to honor the king. The respect or honor due to all is especially to be given to those God has placed in authority. Now lastly, in this lesson, we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, as we see the submission in the believer's life as a worker. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Ladies, Peter had already commanded believers to accept authority in verse 13, right? Well, here he specifically addressed Christians who are servants in pagan homes. The Greek word is not doulos, which is usually the word they use for slave, but the Greek word used here means a household slave or a servant.
Slaves played a significant part in this society. With several million in the Roman Empire at this time, slavery was sanctioned by law and part of the emperor's social makeup. The instruction to slaves and masters in the New Testament applies to every generation or workman. We are to be submissive to those who are over us, whether they are kind or unkind to us. When we work as unto the Lord rather than to our employer, it makes a big difference. We are to do our best in everything that we do so that our testimony does not falter. And a lot of times as I was working, this really got me through that when I had certain employers, I said, I'm not working for that employer. I am working for Jesus Christ. My testimony is what counts here. And that really got me through a lot of different times. Just as we are to obey those in authority over us, we are to obey our employers. We have to use discretion. Now remember, if you are not doing your job and you're using company time to witness, where is your testimony? We need to make sure that we are honoring our worth ethics so that God receives the glory. It was not easy to be a slave in the first century. Even under the best of circumstances, it must have been a great test of our Christian slave to be in submission to a cruel master. But notice in verse 19, it says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Peter said, This is commendable. If the suffering arises from the servant's faith in the gospel, his patient endurance is all the more commendable. We may suffer for many reasons. Some suffering comes as a direct result of our own sin. Some happens because of our foolishness, and some is the result of living in a fallen world. Peter writes about suffering that comes as a result of doing good. Jesus never sinned, and yet he suffered so that we could be set free. When we follow Christ's example and live for others, we too may suffer. Our goal should be to face suffering as he did, with patience, calmness, and confidence, knowing that God controls the future. Jesus proved that a person could be in the will of God, be greatly loved by God, and still suffer unjustly. His humility and submission were not evidence of weakness, but of power. We can deeply learn from this and remember who we are, that we are a child of the King. He is in control, and we need to put our faith and our trust in Him, live for Him and not for others. Here then is the wonderful truth that Peter wanted to share. As we live godly lives and submit in times of suffering, we are following Christ's example and becoming more like Him. We submit and obey, not only for the sake of the lost souls and for the Lord's sake, but also for our own sake, that we might grow spiritually and become more like Christ. The unsaved world, remember, is watching us. But... The shepherd in heaven is also 
watching over us. So we have nothing to fear. We can submit to Him and know that He will work everything together for our good and His glory. Ladies, next week we are going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 through as we walk in submission in the life of the believer as a marriage partner. I look forward to doing this study with you. Until then, God bless.